Hey everyone, this episode contains a contextual reference to suicidal ideation. We wanted you to know that up front so you can take care while listening. We've posted some resources in the show notes if you or anyone you know needs help or wants to know more about the topics we're discussing. Everyone recording? Yes. Yep. Perfect. Cool. So this is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie here with producers Felix Poon and Justine Paradise. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. So we're all gathered here because I want to tell you a story. Something that happened to me before I started this job. I took a week off and I went down to uh, southwest Utah for a solo vacation. You know, just going around camping, running with one of my dogs. And one day I decided to go to Zion National Park. And there's this really famous hike there called Angel's Landing. Have you guys heard of it? No. No, have not. Essentially, you climb up this really skinny spine of a mountain, hundreds of feet up. And at one point, it's only a couple of feet wide. Yikes. I mean, it's it's dangerous. A few people have died doing it, but also tens of thousands of people hike it every year. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, how does this exist in like a public lands setting? You yes. Know? <laughs> yes. What? Mm. And so I'm hiking, I'm walking, feeling like this is no big deal. But the trail is getting skinnier and it's getting skinnier. And then at one point, the trail's only about a foot wide. There's a sheer drop on either side. And the only thing that's keeping me from falling hundreds of feet to my death is this chain railing that's bolted onto the rock. And it's at that very moment that a little voice inside my head says, let go. Let go of the chains and jump. No, Nate, don't let go. Why? (laughs) Felix, that's exactly what I was also saying. I was like, no way. I am not letting go of the chains. That's ridiculous. I don't want to die. And so I slowly start walking back. You turn around. I turned around. I was like, I can't do this. I don't trust myself right now. And I got to a safe spot and I sat down and I was just like in disbelief. I mean, like, what is that little voice? Because this was this is not the first time this has happened to me. I've always had like this little voice, this little urge that tells me to jump when faced with a really high place. Have you guys ever had that? Have you ever had like an urge to to just jump? Yes. Um, I would not describe it as a little voice, but it's like it's like a pull um, or like a what if. And it, yeah, it's like I, I'm at I'm at the viewpoint of a hike and the, the sort of like it would be so easy. It would be so yeah. easy. It would take almost nothing to take a step. Wait, wait, who's who's the little voice inside of you? That's what this episode is going to be all about is <laughs> <laughs> the little voice. Who is talking to me? You're listening to Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie, here today with Felix Poon and Justine Paradise. And on this episode, we're going to find out why roughly a third of us experience what's ominously known as the call of the void, and maybe even how to cure it. So, we're all journalists here, and... As naturally curious people, when faced with something strange or weird, what do we do? Run toward it. 
leap off a cliff. No, not leap. <laughs> Talk to the experts. (laughs) Or in my case, we Google stuff. (laughs) Oh, that too. And so when I got down from Angel's Landing after feeling this urge to jump, I went down an internet rabbit hole. And I found all these blogs and pop science articles about this phenomenon that the French supposedly call l'appel de vide, which actually translates in English to the call of the void. It's so beautiful. Mm. I love that phrase. It's very ominous. The call of the void. And people have been feeling this call of the void for a lot longer than the internet's been around. In 1919, a travel writer described an uncontrollable urge to throw himself off the edge of the Grand Canyon. Winston Churchill called the feeling his black dog, and he didn't like to stand next to the side of a ship looking down at the water. And Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote about this in his short story called The Imp of the Perverse. (laughs) Essentially, an imp's a little mischievous demon who makes us do dangerous or completely outrageous things. Have you ever had that sudden impulse to say or do something completely chaotic? Like, okay, for me, like, what if I was live on NPR, mm-hmm. actually being interviewed by a host, yeah. and I just casually dropped 10 F-bombs? Like, that would be the end of my career. And I've actually been on NPR, by the way, and I've had that very thought. Oh, my God. Have you ever had that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example. I'm pretty sure I've done it before. Not done it. I've, I've had the thought. I didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, all of these thoughts, though, you know, uh, in Poe's story are created by the imp of the perverse. And the most dangerous of these little demon thoughts is falling to your death from a very high place. So I actually want to play an excerpt from the story read by the one and only Vincent Price. There is no passion in nature so demoniacally impatient as that of him who, shuddering upon the edge of a precipice, thus meditates a plunge. To indulge for a moment in any attempt at thought is to be inevitably lost. Thus I meditated a plunge. That was a very perfect voice for that. You know, this could be this could be one explanation of what I was feeling when I was on Angel's Landing. I was possessed by an imp. And it is funny because I do actually imagine the tiny little voice in my head as a little mischievous devil. Well, actually, he doesn't really look like a devil. He actually looks like uh, the Monopoly man for some reason. <laughs> and he's got like a little top hat and a monocle. It's a more realistic devil, though. He's like, I am an oligarch. Yeah, exactly. He's like a tiny little oligarch that like sits on my shoulder and whispers <laughs> bad things for me to do. So, you know, I, we could just call it quits here and just say, call of the void. It's caused by imps. End of story. It's very scientific. Exactly. Yeah. But... I did more Googling, and that's when I stumbled on a 2012 peer-reviewed paper published by the Journal of Affective Disorders. And it was all about this urge to jump. So I actually gave the author a call. Hi, this is Jen. And her name's Jennifer Hames. She's a psychologist at the University of Notre Dame. And I told her my Angel's Landing story, and she got right to the point. So first off, what you're experiencing is super, super common. And what we've named that experience is the high place phenomenon. The high place phenomenon. I mean, it's very literal. I still like Call of the Void the best. I know. It's kind of like, it's very scientific sounding, very clinical, maybe less exciting than Call of the Void. But Hames says that this high place phenomenon, as she calls it, is actually caused by our brains misinterpreting safety signals. So these safety signals are like flares, and they fire off every time that we think we're in danger. They exist to try to keep us safe. They exist to try to, you know, help us as the human race survive. 
And sometimes these safety signals can go off and they go off so quickly in our minds that we start to react before we even realize that that safety signal has really happened. So for instance, if you're on the edge of a cliff. You might have you know something firing in your brain saying, back up, wait, you might fall, this is dangerous. And so you immediately back up, you freeze in place, you grip tighter onto those chains as I did, whatever. And you do all of this before you even really understand what's going on. Your body's having an instant physical reaction. And this is taking place before the slower, more analytical part of your brain can catch up. And when it finally does... We can start to believe that we actually wanted to jump because we don't really understand why our body reacted that way. So essentially, these safety signals are trying to keep us out of danger, but then our mind can misinterpret why they were fired off in the first place. So something's just, it's just lost in translation. That's exactly it. Our brain just assigns a meaning to a safety signal that might be completely wrong. And that's when the weirdness begins. I mean, it's not just having the sudden urge to jump off a cliff, uh, but maybe standing up in the middle of a classroom and screaming at the top of your lungs, or... I see a knife and I then have this image in my head suddenly that like, wow, I am just about to stab somebody with that knife. Like these, these are actually relatively normal experiences for us as humans. And we start to get into problems and start to become really distressed about it when we start to attribute that to meaning there's something wrong with me because that weird thought just popped in my head. This 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 feels very validating. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It feels really validating. This, especially the part about the knife. I've never admitted this to anyone, but sometimes in the kitchen, I'm like, oh, I need to get the knife, like a butcher knife. And there's someone else in the room is like, I could literally just stab this right through them right now. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I have that thought? Like, that's terrible. Oh my gosh. I have had that exact same thought, Felix. I think I feel that like almost every time I use a knife, actually. I hope my roommates never listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or my husband. (laughs) And most of us can shake these thoughts off and move on with our day, right? Like you, Felix, you have that thought of the knife and then you're just like, oh no, no way. And you move on with your day. What if you couldn't? What if the call of the void became so intense that you almost acted? That story is coming up next after the break. And if you experience the call of the void, that urge to jump from a high place, let us know on our website, outsideinradio.org, or tweet us at outsideinradio. You might remember I mentioned this episode contains a contextual reference to suicidal ideation. Well, that part is coming up in just a minute. And there is also an F-bomb in this half of the episode, so keep that in mind while listening. Hey, you're listening to Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie, here with producers Felix Boone, Justine Paradise. Indeed. Hello. We just heard from psychologist Jennifer Hames, who is the first person to give an actual clinical name to that urge to jump some people have when they're standing on the edge of a cliff. It's called high place phenomenon. After Hames published that research paper in 2012, she started receiving dozens and dozens of emails from people all around the world. Saying, wow, like this makes me feel like I am not crazy, that there is not some something wrong with me, that this is a normal experience um, in being human. Because it is totally normal, right? I mean, again, 
Hames' research found that roughly a third of those surveyed felt the urge to jump. But we oftentimes keep these thoughts to ourselves because we think we're weird because we have them. And I think that when we put out research like this, that can be so incredibly powerful to be able to to know that I'm not the only one, and yet this is also a scary experience that I've had in my life. And for most of us, you know, this experience is just that. They're briefly scary, but then they pass. But for others, they can become traumatic. And that's what happened to Stephen Hunt. Uh, my name's Stephen Hunt. I live in Sydney, Australia. He's married, three kids. Oh, just apologize, I've got a young person crying in the background. So, um, And he says he's always been a little bit afraid of heights. There was always this sort of irrational pull to jump. And, um, and it's something that had always been there, but not, not severe. But all of this changed one cold autumn night in 2010. I'd been out, like, burning the candle at both ends, working really hard, and I'd been out late with some friends, one of which had to get an early plane. And, um, and I said to him, you know what, I think I'm good. I'll, I can drive you to the airport. Turned out the airport he was going from was over an hour away in a place called Avalon. So I drove all the way out there, and at this point I'm super exhausted. It's, like, probably 4 in the morning or something. And, um, and I start driving back, and on the way back from Avalon to Melbourne, you've got to cross over this massive, really high bridge, and it's probably something equivalent of, like, the Golden Gate. It's really high up. There's a bit of water underneath, but there's actually a lot of concrete. And in the middle of crossing this big bridge, I had this uncontrollable urge to steer as hard as I could to the side and drive my car right off it. This uncontrollable, almost uncontrollable, subconscious urge was, was basically willing me to end my life. By the time I got to the other side, I was, had my foot off the accelerator. I was rolling into what ended up being a stop on a side of the lane. And, um, and then I actually got out of the car. Like, it was the first thing. I just shut the engine off, got out, and, and I was in tears and just hyperventilating, going, what the hell just happened? Like. If I just lost my mind, um, you know, is this a mental breakdown? I, I had no idea what it was. I started researching it straight away. I went to see my doctor and my doctor just said, oh, you've, you've had a panic attack. Like, didn't really draw too much from the heights. And, um, but I was surprised because I know everybody actually feels this sensation to some extent, like I've, I had talked about it to friends my whole life. Like we always kind of go, oh, don't, don't you sometimes feel that urge to jump? Yeah. But it's never like, you know, my life's actually at risk from doing that. I'm, I'm going to ask this question. I know it's a sensitive question, but I mean, did, was this, has this been, ever, have you ever had suicidal ideation? Have you ever, you know, experienced that or do you, or is this not tied to that? No, I think aside from the, um, you know, these experiences, which are really suicidal ideation, the, the answer would be no. Like, I love life. <laughs> I've got three beautiful kids who are five, seven and ten. Like, we're in the, the best part. And um, so it's, it's definitely life's worth living. I, I don't, um, don't have any intention of leaving unless I have to. 
And that's why Hunt tries to avoid tall places these days. It means no balconies, no cliffs, no rooftops. Because if he gets too close to the edge, he'll start feeling the urge. It's kind of like, um, almost like being hungry or something. Like, you know, like if, if someone puts a delicious sandwich in front of me and I'm going to start feeling really hungry, like I really want to eat it. And, and that's kind of the urge, like the, the, the temptation of jumping is there. The opportunity to is there and I'm tempted. Um, my body is like just willing itself to go and have a crack and see what happens. It's almost like that. But yeah, my conscious mind is like, fuck no. (laughs) Sorry, probably can't swear, but like, um, hell hell no. (laughs) So he keeps feeling this like every time now. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time he goes towards any kind of high place, he he it it can uh, trigger in some cases a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so he just he tries to avoid him at all costs. Well, has he seen a psychologist or someone to try to cure this or, or, or alleviate this? Yes, yeah, he sees he sees he's tried therapy and he's trying to take care of himself, abstaining from alcohol, just to put himself in a better place where he's not burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. And he's also developed this trick to help calm him down after an episode. Music. I found that song Weightless by Myconi Union is actually a really powerful way to do it. For instance, after he had an episode on a balcony during a work meeting, he excused himself and ran down to his car shut the door. I put on that song and just breathed, went through my breathing exercises until I could calm down. And yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty effective. When I listen to this song, it makes me feel like I'm putting on like a warm, weighted blanket. It's a really calming, calming song. Ambient. It's pretty. But the most extreme thing he's tried to cure himself of high place phenomenon was actually bungee jumping. What? Well, it's kind of like exposure therapy. Exactly. Like exposing yourself to the thing that you're terrified of, but in a kind of controlled way in which like you have agency and you're deciding to do a thing. You have support. I feel like that could go either way. So Hunt is is pretty well versed in that idea, as you said, of exposure therapy, that when you have a phobia or when something traumatizes you, a good way to try and get over that fear is to essentially face it head on. So last year he was on a work trip in New Zealand and his buddy was like, hey, you want to jump off a cliff? Here's your chance. <laughs> and I was kind of a bit nervous about it, but I signed up, went up to this massive bridge underneath is like rapids and walking out onto the bridge, I felt the sensation, but it was kind of controllable. When I get this, I tend to just sort of do box breathing or vagus nerve breathing, depending on the the type. So Hunt is standing on this massive bridge in New Zealand above these roaring rapids. In for four, hold for two, and then out for six. But then when it came to my turn to get up and jump, I was totally fine. The uncontrollable urge and the panic disappeared. And I just jumped and I had an awesome bungee, like went down, came back up, and then they put me in the boat. And then I went straight back up and was totally fine. Like, you know, after doing that, I could stand on the bridge with not feeling a thing. And I got up for my second go and I I actually just did it backwards. Like I turned around and did this big backwards swan dive and 
you know, relished it. Wow. A swan dive. <laughs> so it's it's gone. He doesn't experience it anymore at all. Uh, not exactly. I didn't expect it would have cured it. I think, you know, I felt at the time that uh, it was just mind over matter that my my mind felt there was no option to, 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 I guess it's to suicide, right? That's what this is. It's like, is there an option to suicide or not? And if there is, then in, in comes that internal conflict. If I can rationally prove there's no option, um, which I guess I experienced there, then it's all gone. It's all like it all goes away. And almost like it wasn't the same situation, like there was a rope. Right, exactly. Like essentially what he's saying is once he knew he was safe bungee jumping, the call of the void disappeared. He was able to experience a fall without the danger of dying. But you take the rope away, put him on the edge of that bridge with no harness, and that urge to jump returns. I mean, it's kind of like how we're comfortable on a roller coaster whipping around corners at 60 miles an hour. But if we were in a car with a friend doing that, we'd be totally freaked out. And so bottom line, Hunt doesn't really know how to stop this high place phenomenon. I told all of this to the psychologist Jennifer Hames. She's the researcher we talked to in the first half of the show who came up with that clinical term, high place phenomenon. And not to put a damper on everything, but she says playing music or bungee jumping, all of these things, she calls them safety aids. The thing with safety aids is that we can start to believe that then we can't get through that situation unless we do that thing. And so in this example, the equivalent would be, I can't drive across a bridge unless I'm playing this music. So it might lead that person to then feel like, let's say, you know, their phone battery dies and they don't have access to that song, then they can't go across the bridge. It becomes a coping mechanism. What Hames recommends instead is actually just leaning into the feeling. So the idea would be, we actually want people to feel high levels of anxiety when you're doing an exposure. Like when you're doing the thing that makes you anxious, we actually don't want you to calm down. When anxiety is as high as it is, then the feared outcome doesn't happen. That creates a really great um, environment for that learning to actually happen, that what we call safety learning, that I can be incredibly anxious in this situation and I can still make it through and not fall off or not steer my car off the bridge or whatever it might be. So this is real deal exposure therapy. Unlike bungee jumping, which as extreme as it sounds, isn't the thing that Hunt's actually afraid of. And also like bungee jumping, this isn't something you just jump into. It's something that you want to do with guidance from a professional and take it one step at a time. Psychologists call this a fear ladder. Maybe first you start 20 feet away from a cliff. Feel a mild urge to jump, let it pass. Then you move 10 feet away, five feet away, always feeling the urge and then letting it pass. Because the whole idea with this is to show ourselves that just because we might have urges, that we've got imps of the perverse living in our brains, it doesn't mean that we actually have to listen to them. Urges do not have to lead to action. There is always an opportunity to intervene, and we we don't have to be at the mercy of what every urge or impulse within us tells us to do.
So Nate, I'm curious, like after learning all this, does it change anything for you and your little Monopoly guy in your head? Um, okay, well, first off, like what I experienced, not as serious as what Stephen Hunt experienced. But that said, it's really nice knowing that there's an actual scientific reason behind the call of the void, behind this high place phenomenon. And so I don't know, I find that really heartening because now when I experience that urge to jump, I can just be like, ignore it and just be like, ah, that's just like my brain misfiring and making mistakes. That's okay. Or that you're not actually going to murder your roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not just going to murder your roommate. Exactly. Do you think you would do Angel's Landing again ever? Um, yes. I would love to, but I would definitely like to do it with my wife and not just by myself. So the idea is that you know that you're not alone as far like other people experience this and mm. and you wouldn't be alone literally. Exactly. Yeah. Send us pictures when you go. I will. If you want to see some pictures of Angel's Landing or a video of Stephen Hunt bungee jumping, you can visit our website, outsideinradio.org. We also want to know whether you feel the call of the void and how you handle it. So shoot us a tweet at Outside In Radio. Also, a quick reminder, Outside In is a public radio production. So we really do rely on listener support. If you're able, please consider donating to support the show. The link to do that is outsideinradio.org slash donate. Outside In was produced this week by me, Nate Hedgie, and edited by Taylor Quimby with help from Jessica Hunt, Rebecca Lavoie, Justine Paradise, and Felix Poon. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Music in this episode came from Marconi Union, Sour Mash, Dew of Light, Gavin Luke, and Christopher Moe Ditlifson. You know what, Nate? This is your chance to let out the imp. Should we try some exposure therapy? Nobody listens this far anyway. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, ready? Here we go. Outside In is a f- production of New Hampshire f***ing <laughs> public radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt great. I felt really, really good. <laughs> <laughs>